Welcome to The Landscape, your show about America's parks and public lands. I'm Aaron Weiss with the Center for Western Priorities in Denver. And I'm Kate Gretzinger in Salt Lake City. Today we're talking about a BLM resource management plan for Southwest Wyoming. It's called the Rock Springs RMP. And while most RMPs fly under the radar, this one is causing quite a stir for a number of reasons. We'll get into that in a second. But first, let's do the news. Arizona state legislators are urging the courts to hear Utah's case against President Biden's use of the Antiquities Act to restore Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments. The Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals threw out the case in August, saying that the president's use of the Antiquities Act was, quote, not subject to review. So why are Arizona lawmakers getting involved in Utah's business, you might ask? because they're hoping to lay the groundwork for a lawsuit of their own against the Bajnawavjo Itakukveni Ancestral Footprints of the Grand Canyon National Monument in Arizona. We'll be following this, of course, but it's unlikely to go anywhere. The judge was pretty clear when he threw out the case that the monument expansion was legal, and there's 100 years of case law to back that up. A congressionally mandated climate report released last week delivered a sadly predictable message. America must rapidly reduce its carbon emissions, and climate change is already having dire impacts on human health, infrastructure, and the economy. It found that global warming is raising average temperatures in the U.S. faster than across the rest of the planet. This report included some new categories, including one on environmental justice that looked at how climate change is having outsized impacts on indigenous communities. The authors say this is due to colonization. 100, 150, 200 years ago and continuing on to this day, which of course pushed indigenous people into areas that are highly impacted by climate change, like the Arctic coast, the desert southwest. The authors also emphasized that indigenous people hold important knowledge to combat climate change, and they called on the federal government to engage tribal governments in finding climate solutions. Our guest today is Julia Stubel, Wyoming State Senior Manager with the Wilderness Society. Julia is a Wyomingite who's lived and worked in the state for decades, and she's here today to talk about a new Bureau of Land Management Resource Management Plan, or RMP, for Southwest Wyoming that's making waves in the state. Thanks for being here, Julia. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's kick this off by talking about resource management plans. What are they and why do they matter? Uh, they're one of the more exciting topics <laughs> that we can have when you talk about public land policy in the state. Um, it's funny, they're actually kind of boring and it's it's hard to get a lot of people interested in them. So the amount of interest in this one is exceptionally uh, exciting for us. A resource management plan is like a strategic plan that the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, will write for each of their field offices or districts. Uh, so the BLM will do this about every 10 to 15 years. A lot of them are outdated. The goal is to do them about those 10 years so that we don't get too outdated. The agency will do an inventory of all its resources in that district or field office, as they call it, set management objectives for each of those resources, and then determine the environmental and social impacts of what those goals and objectives would do. And then they select from um, all that analysis what they're actually going to do to manage and balance those resource uses across the field office uh, for that next decade. The decisions are fairly high level. Uh, again, think of it as like a strategic plan with objectives, not actual like project plans. So, for example, the agency will decide where they could lease for oil and gas, but they don't issue leases or they don't approve oil and gas development at this stage. That happens through what we would call project level uh, NEPA, National Environmental Policy Act analysis. 
All right. So for a podcast that loves to get into the policy weeds, this is as weedy as it gets <laughs> here today. So we've got this resource management plan covers 3.6 million acres in Southwest Wyoming. It's called the, the Rock Springs RMP. And as you mentioned, ordinarily, these things are kind of eye-wateringly boring. <laughs> and totally. yet this one is getting a whole lot of attention. So walk us through first what this resource management plan would actually do. Uh, and then we'll get into what other folks are claiming it would do. But just nuts and bolts for us first. For sure. So right now we're still at the draft stage. So the agency has put together a variety of alternatives, uh, which is what they need to do per the statutes, statutory uh, uh, guidance that they have for doing these kinds of plans. They have four alternatives that have a variety of different decisions for each resource within each alternative. Roughly, their alternatives can be known as um, no action, where the agency makes no changes to the existing plan. In this case, for the Rock Springs area, that's a plan from 1997. So we think it's pretty important that they don't select no action. And I don't think it's likely at all, but it's important to do some updates um, from the 97 management for sure. Uh, there is an alternative that prioritizes conservation. There's an alternative that prioritizes resource extraction or, or development. And then there's an alternative that uh, is a mix of both that kind of conservation and resource extraction. That mixed alternative um, is often what the agency will select. But in this case, that alternative was largely written by the previous presidential administration, uh, by President uh, Trump and his appointees. So the mix is still heavily resource development focused. Uh, it leans really into um, uh, mining and oil and gas leasing and less protections uh, for wildlife habitats, cultural sites, recreation. So the Biden administration selected the alternative that leans more towards conservation. And this is in line with a lot of their goals through various policy uh, reforms that they're going about that the agency, the BLM, has for years um, followed a multiple use mandate that still has leaned heavily into extraction, grazing, and, and sort of economic development or use of the land uh, is how some people would phrase it, and less into conservation um, and you know, prioritization of wildlife habitat and uh, thinking about clean air and clean water. So the Biden administration, through a lot of different policies, is trying to uh, rebalance and, and more heavily weight conservation, uh, which is exactly what we think needs to happen, right, to tackle the climate crisis, biodiversity crisis, what we're facing. Um, so the administration chose this uh, conservation-leaning alternative and is very open to getting feedback on that. They've been very clear that um, <clears throat> that they want to hear how this will impact people, what they got right, what they might need to tweak. And that's the stage we're in right now is it's a draft. Let's take a look at it. Let's look at what they got right. Let's look at what needs to be adjusted and send in comments. We've seen some Wyoming politicians claim the plan would destroy the oil and gas industry in the state. Is that accurate when you look at where the resources are and what development the plan would still allow? It's not accurate at all. It's not accurate in the least, especially when you think about destroying the oil and gas economy in the state. So first, let's be clear, natural gas production in Wyoming has been declining for decades. It's been very difficult for Wyoming to compete with the natural gas fields in New Mexico and back east on the Marsalis. It's a lot more expensive for us to pull the gas out of the ground and get it to market than those other fields are. That's just a function of, of basic geology. <laughs> basic geology, basic economics. Yeah. Let's be clear. Um, then a lot of the development in the state for oil and gas is happening more in the northeast. There is development in their existing fields here in the western part of the state uh, that are still producing. Absolutely. Um, but there is not a lot of uh, 
a potential for future fines, especially then in this field office. So let's look at that claim and say, okay, it's not going to destroy the oil and gas industry in the state. Is it going to destroy the oil and gas industry in the region? I would say no um, to that as well. It will have an impact. We are going to see greater closures. But where the BLM has proposed closures for oil and gas leasing are in areas where there's very little potential for oil and gas to be developed. It's the wrong geology. There's no oil and gas there. That's where they're putting a lot of closures in place so that they don't get tied up offering leases and going through this whole incredible bureaucratic process to lease that takes time and agency dollars, and then you're issuing leases where you're not going to get development anyway. So they're closing where there's low potential. The plan also does not affect where there are existing leases in the field office. Uh, There's about a million acres out of the 3.6 million acres that are leased. And I should add a little asterisk when I say that million. That's our analysis. The plan itself has a more outdated number of how much is leased in the the field office. Um, But our current analysis shows about a million acres. Those leases can still be fully developed regardless of what this resource management plan decides. Uh, The leases are contracts. They're rights to develop that have been issued. Additionally, there's about half a million leases in the um, half a million acres of lease in the field office that are already producing Uh, leases that are under production where oil and gas is coming out of the ground also will not be affected uh, by this plan. So when you look at the amount of production that will continue, the leases that are not under production that could go under production regardless of the plan, and the fact that the closures are in areas where there's no geologic resource or very little ability to get the oil and gas out, I don't think that the claims that it'll destroy the industry um, are accurate at all. I'll add, too, that we're digging in deeply with an economist into the socioeconomic analysis that the BLM did for this alternative, uh, which is now again, five, six, maybe seven years old, and we think is based on outdated forecasts about what the BLM thought in terms of how many wells would get drilled in this field office, regardless of any policy change. And we believe that they overstated the number of wells that they thought would get drilled and then have overstated the numbers of jobs that would be associated with those wells. So when you see the headlines about job loss and economic impacts from this plan, we think that's outdated and we'll be submitting um, our own analysis to update that. I wanted to take a quick detour into these oil and gas numbers because we've seen this year BLM has held two oil and gas lease sales in Wyoming, not just this field office, but across Wyoming. And they were not huge numbers of acres offered to begin with. And then even from that, the industry only ended up bidding on about half of what was offered. So is this just a sign anything that's going to produce in Wyoming has basically been leased? Any future leasing is kind of on the margins anyway? I would think that's right. I mean, that's a generalized statement, but I think you're generally pointing in the right direction that leases are 10 years old. There's been a lot of uh, exploration across Wyoming for decades because it is important to us uh, for our economics and our communities to Uh, We've relied on oil and gas, but leases are in place. A lot of the existing fields are leased and producing. Uh, I don't think there's some magic field out there that somebody hasn't found uh, at this point after, you know, decades, decades and decades of exploration. We know where the oil is. Exactly. And a lot of it is leased and a lot of it is producing right now, especially at the rate that can be competing again with other markets and other, Mm -hmm. uh, other areas across the nation that are developing. So besides the oil and gas closures, what are some of the conservation highlights in the RMP? Yeah, that's the exciting part. Um, When the plan came out, we first dig in and it's hundreds of pages long and you think, let's see what they did. Um, It just started popping about things that I just was never expecting it to be um, this conservation friendly. It's very exciting in that way. 
So there are areas in the northern part of the field office, two landscapes that are very important to local communities um, and to wildlife. Um, they're called the Northern Red Desert and the Big Sandy Foothills. And these areas are right now just intact landscapes, connected landscapes, uh, very little development, very little potential for development. And the BLM has recognized that. And that's where we see them managing for conservation and for protection of wildlife habitats. So they're closing these areas to oil and gas. There's not much oil and gas potential there anyway. They're closing it to renewables, which is a good choice. There's areas that we think renewable energy should be developed, and it's not in these intact wildlife habitats or, or areas of cultural importance. They're closing them to big transmission lines, and they're going to prioritize a variety of the places there for cultural sites that are important for tribal nations and recreational access uh, for the folks who rely on going out in the wild there. So seeing these landscapes, which are just beautiful places, I mean, they are big open sagebrush uh, foothills, they are uh, buttes and badlands. And so it's really remarkable spots. And seeing the BLM recognize that, designating some of the areas of critical environmental concern are very exciting. It's very exciting to see. All right. So that is what this plan would do. It would seem up to this point, we've set ourselves up for a fairly reasonable conversation on the balances between oil and gas production, coal mining, conservation, etc. But that somehow leads to one state lawmaker calling this plan, quote, an attempt at total government control. Another called it the worst disaster in American history affecting, quote, more people than the Civil War, Pearl Harbor, and 9-11 combined. I will go ahead and fact check that one. That's false. Uh, the governor, Mark Gordon, among the more reasonable sounding Republicans usually, said this plan amounts to the Biden administration putting its foot on the neck of Wyoming. And again, this is a plan that covers through a little more than 3 million acres in a state with... 62 million acres of land across the whole state. So what in the world is going on here? Is there just tons of disinformation floating around over this document? There's so much, and it's deliberate. What's been remarkable to see when you think about this, like, again, these resource management plans being really not generally exciting, not talked about a ton, very hard to get media attention around uh, in the past. What's happening here is... Uh, Far-right extremists in the state's Republican Party have grabbed this plan and are using it as a tool to fuel anti-government and anti-Biden movements. So it's not about the plan, frankly. I think very few folks who are talking about it, as you can see from those comments, are reading in depth what's in the plan. But they know that it will uh, incite a lot of followers. It'll get people um, uh, a part of their movement and that they can continue to oppose both the federal government generally, right? These are anti-government activists who would probably prefer to see these lands not be in public hands uh, and that um, and that they're opposed to President Biden and a lot of his initiatives anyway. So the RMP is being, is being used right now in a way that has something to do with the plan, right? Because the plan leans towards conservation. But I would say that regardless of if this plan had been very resource extractive heavy, if it's coming out of the present Biden administration, it's going to be opposed by these these extremists uh, and this real far right movement. So lots of misinformation. And I would say that uh, of the people who are digging quietly into the plan, doing their own analysis, actually reading the text, uh, thinking through what um, what they can send in to help the BLM update some of its analysis, because the plan has been developed over the last 10 years. We'll get to that. Um, 
there are people who are saying a lot less inflammatory things. They're seeing some points that they can support, right? Some of these conservation proposals for those landscapes I talked about, the Northern Red Desert, that's going to preserve the heritage of Seawater County. Like those are places people want to take uh, their grandkids. It's where their grandfather took them. Uh, and it's going to look about the same for the next 30 years if this plan for that region were adopted. And so I think uh, if we can get past the inflammatory rhetoric, if we can get past the insults, if we can get past their like partisan ideology, uh, there's a lot in the meat of this plan to support, um, especially when you think about the values of the places that are going to be protected and the fact that there is plenty of resource extraction that's still going to be allowed. So tell us a little bit more about this part of the state, Southwest Wyoming. What are the politics like in that corner? Um, and what are the main uses of public land there? Yeah. So Seawater County, this part of the Southwest Wyoming, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's where I grew up in Green River, Wyoming, one of the towns in the middle of this field office. And so these are places um, I mean, first I'll just stop and talk about the sort of the wide open spaces, right? This is sagebrush habitat. This is this is high desert. Uh, there are low lying mountains, so you have some forested areas. Um, used, yeah, remarkable wildlife habitat. This is where we see the longest mule deer migration corridor in the lower 48. Really important places for desert elk. A desert elk herd that still uh, hangs out down in the sagebrush instead of up in the mountains. Uh, migrating pronghorn. So, I mean, my gosh, I could take up the rest of the podcast talking about wildlife and the wildlife values uh, and the ways that people get outside. But when you look at the politics of Sweetwater County, I think this also helps inform that backlash from the extreme right. Um, Sweetwater County is, uh, there are two main uh, municipalities, Green River and Rock Springs, and they are both heavily dependent on mineral extraction. Uh, both on Trona Mines, which is a, a mineral that's mined in underground mines, and it's one of the most uh, valuable and large uh, deposits of Trona in the world. My dad worked in the Trona Mines. Um, and then also on coal mines and uh, coal and now natural gas fueled power plants. And then, of course, supporting oil and gas development across the region. So these are two towns and a county reliant on the revenues and the jobs that come from producing minerals, you know, fluid and solid now I'm being a dork about this stuff, on um, public lands. Uh, for years, Sweetwater County was a Democratic and a blue stronghold in the in the state. Regularly, the state lawmakers that were sent down to Cheyenne um, and to some degree county commissioners uh, were from uh, the Democratic Party. Centrists, for sure, Wyoming Democrats, but, but still blue. And in the last decade or so, we've seen uh, almost an incredible, like an entire shift uh, to having uh, Republican lawmakers who are not centrist uh, sent down to Cheyenne instead. And I think we see that as the economy is changing, as the parties themselves are changing. I mean, yeah, we probably don't need to deep dive too much into the the t- changing polarization in our nation and the lack of the center the center getting pulled apart. But um, Seawater County has shifted from blue to red, and not only red, but deep, deep red uh, in a very short amount of time. Some of that has to do with the changing economics and I think, you know, staring in the face that some of those mineral uh, resources will still be important economically for the future. Trona is going to get mined there for a long time. That's great. We need Trona. It's, I'm going to get dorky here. It's produced. Uh, it makes glass. It makes detergents. It's important for our lifestyle. But the coal mine is, um, the coal power plant is not going to rely on coal for much longer. The utility is changing its mix. Uh, renewable energy is being discussed a lot more. So uh, so these are changes that are hitting hard that will affect people's livelihoods, will affect their vision for the future for their community. Uh, and the RMP is is landing right in the middle of those tensions and those future conversations. So you can see how a lot of overarching economic anxiety plays into a plan like this that could seem 
threatening given the the overall trends that make that makes a lot of sense at the same time i would imagine given everything i know about wyoming that hunting and fishing is a way of life for a lot of folks in these rural areas and you mentioned the mule deer herds and the migration corridors and the elk i mean i would where is the 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 public lands hunting community on this and are there other stakeholders getting involved beyond just the traditional conservation groups or oil and gas groups? Yes. So there are um, lots of hunters and anglers are speaking up, especially hunters, uh, and saying, yep, these are priceless wildlife herds. These are uh, open and tech lands where I want to go hunt and take my kids to hunt for for, uh, future generations. So we are seeing um, comments, we're seeing folks come to public meetings, we're seeing lots of opinions being written that say, Absolutely. Preserve these herds, preserve my wildlife opportunities. Um, It's important to me to to continue this wildlife and hunting heritage. Uh, Lots of other communities are speaking up too. Um, In uh, just outside the field office, Lander, Wyoming, where I live now, there are a lot of people who uh, head south and go into the field office here into that northern red desert area for recreation. Those are important lands uh, for the eastern Shoshone and for many other tribal nations for the northern Arapaho. Uh, both the Eastern Shoshone and Northern Arapaho are just outside of Lander on the Wind River Reservation. Um, and they use those lands for connection to ancestral places. They use their sacred sites and there's active food gathering as well. So we're seeing um, engagement from tribal members and we're hoping to see, we'll come to this later, I hope that you know, BLM and Governor Gordon uh, ramp up their tribal engagement and tribal consultation with both those tribes and the others who have ties to these lands uh, but to come back to your point about uh, the hunting community, other public lands users, yeah, amidst all the sort of the noise and the rhetoric and the insults that are coming from some of our elected officials, a lot of quiet Wyomingites are saying, yeah, I see some value in the in the very carefully planned uh, conservation goals for some of these landscapes. That's where I go. I want to keep going there. I want to keep taking my kids there. And I want it to look intact and wild and see mule deer uh, and be able to, you know, fill my freezer uh, when I go out there to hunt an elk. So Again, that's happening a bit more quietly. Of course, there's some opinions in the news. We're trying to lift that up and we'll be sure to get a lot of substantive comments uh, from folks um, who know these lands well. And on that point, I will say too that Wyomingites are speaking up uh, and are defending these places, but these are public lands owned by uh, all Americans, everyone in the nation. And so we're also um, hoping to see robust public comments saying, uh, telling the BLM that an attempt to emphasize conservation to a greater degree uh, and to rebalance how multiple uses are uh, balanced on public lands matters, right? That these lands can be a solution to the climate crisis and the extinction crises and plans like this RMP that have greater conservation management are one step forward for achieving those. Mm, that's really interesting. It's a really good point that it's, while the industry is changing, um, you know, according to forces larger than just Wyoming, um, this plan could help keep life the same in terms of fishing and hunting and recreation. Um, so in some ways it, it will help keep that way of life um, from changing. I think so. And if I could add there too, I think that there is a quality of life component that the uh, municipalities, uh, that the towns, the communities can use to help diversify their economy too. When you're trying to attract new business and new types of business, you know, more and more people want to be able to walk out their front door and go for a trail run, go for a hike, see wildlife, um, Right. It's, there's a reason why I live in Wyoming. There's a reason why everybody else lives here. We put up with hard winters and long roads and, you know, um, and we do it because we can get outside every day really easily. So I think that 
Um, the economic developers in these towns know this and that knowing that prioritizing some conservation and recreation access the way this plan does uh, could be valuable for that diversification of the economies down the, down mm. the line. Great point. Well, Julia, I read somewhere that the BLM actually started updating this plan in 2011, and it actually took 12 years to get here. So why that delay? Is that normal? That's not normal. (laughs) That is not normal. (laughs) Um, And it's been challenging, too. So you're right. In 2011, um, the BLM had its first public, sought its first public input. So it's called scoping, where they say, what do you think? You know, we're going to update this plan. What do you, what should we do on? And they got lots of robust comments folks sent in. yeah, comments, organizations did and citizens did. And then uh, we had no public input between now and this draft plan released now in 2023. A couple things happened. Um, this area has some contentious wild horse management because there's a mix of public and private lands known as a checkerboard. And um, we've seen some litigation and some disagreement with how the BLM is managing wild horses. So that litigation slowed down the ability to plan for uh, horses and to took a lot of the field office's time, frankly. Um, also, um, in the middle of this sage-grouse management across the West was being reanalyzed and redetermined. So the uh, President Obama's administration was were doing a, a West-wide or programmatic um, uh, planning process around greater sage-grouse, and this plan was going to be a part of that. So the field office and the BLM said, look, if we're going to rewrite the sage-grouse section as part of this other broader process, we should wait for that to happen so we can incorporate that into our own RMP and, and not have you know duplicative or contradictory analysis and statements happening. And then I'll say too that um, since 2011, we've had three different presidential administrations. Each one has different priorities. And we, I think we saw significant swings between those priorities too. More, more whiplash than usual, as we've talked about on this podcast a lot. Yeah. Exactly. I think public land management, you know, two, three decades ago, you wouldn't see quite the the dramatic swings as you did at the end of or at the beginning of President Trump's administration with the energy dominance agenda. And so when an administration comes in and looks at the existing analyses or the existing direction that this plan was going and said, no, rewrite this, um, that's going to take some time. And so I think that was part of the delay, too. So how do we move things forward here? You're, you've got this complex situation, a big, complex policy document, along with a misinformation campaign, some unhinged political rhetoric. What's the next step? Is there any chance the governor comes back to a more reasonable place? And and where do things head from here? Well, first I'll say, um, before I come into what the governor's doing next, yeah, what's next and what we're focusing on is uh, getting folks to weigh in, right? People who know the area, people who cherish the area, and people who love public lands and want to see public lands as a part of that solution for our climate change crises and biodiversity crises. So people weighing in, bottom line, right? Like full stop. Um, We are developing comments based on a lot of expert um, analysis and consultation, looking at the latest research, uh, letting the BLM know where over that decade um, there might be some new information they haven't considered uh, that would help um, lay the groundwork for some of the conservation decisions or might tweak some areas uh, that we need to see updated. So providing new information, providing up-to-date research, uh, and and looking about how that should be incorporated by the agency into its final objectives. That's what we're focusing on. And then people weighing in, right? Sending in comments by January 17th. Um, those folks who know the area uh, and say, this is where I want to hike and bike and you know hunt and fish and, and take my kids and grandkids or know that my friends can take their kids and grandkids, right? Or know that I live someplace uh, far away from Wyoming, but I want public lands managed 
um, so that wildlife continue to you know, roam free and, and so can the folks who visit. So people weighing in, I'm just going to keep saying it. What's next? We, we are seeing Governor Gordon um, uh, have a changed approach. For months, um, uh, the governor has been issuing uh, and has been, uh, I would say, adding to some of the inflammatory rhetoric about the plan and its impacts. And we are now seeing the governor convene a some public hearings at the end of this week uh, in Green River and Rock Springs. And then we're hearing he'll form a task force. We don't have a lot of details about this that will attempt to uh, analyze a few of the issues with a variety of stakeholders and maybe try to see if there's more common ground than what the rhetoric and the inflammatory rhetoric especially has uh, pointed towards. So, um, you know, in Wyoming, if you work in conservation, you move forward in hope. And so we hope to see that that will be a substantive um, process, that people will come to the table in good faith, uh, will set aside some of their ideological differences and say, great, what does the plan actually say about invasive weeds, right, about some of the areas where closures happen where there is no oil and gas. Um, what does it say about some of the wildlife habitats? Um, so stay tuned since we don't have a lot of detail on that um, at time of recording, uh, but I hope that that does help diffuse the situation and produce more uh, pragmatic and um, substantive engagement instead of uh, what we've seen in terms of the extremist rhetoric. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you guys are doing some great work on this and we'll be sure to keep an eye on how it moves forward. Um, Julia Stubel, Wyoming State Senior Manager with the Wilderness Society. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for paying attention to this plan and for calling in. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, And I hope that your listeners uh, check out how they can send in comments by January 17th. We will drop that link in the show notes, of course. Perfect. All right. Bye. Thank you. Good news. The Bureau of Land Management's congressionally chartered nonprofit partner, the Foundation for America's Public Lands, is up and running. The foundation released a report last week with recommendations for how the BLM can improve and address growing recreation pressure on public land. More than 81 million people visited BLM lands last year, which is a 40 percent increase over the past decade. The report is the result of over 100 listening sessions with stakeholders that represent interests like off-roading, hunting and fishing, conservation, and local, state, and tribal governments. The listening sessions involved getting feedback on the BLM's own recreation blueprint, which was released back in August. One of the report's main recommendations is that the agency engage in more partnerships and establish a BLM National Partnership Office in order to help balance resource protection with recreation access. The foundation put together a handy two-page summary of the report that we'll link in the show notes. Well, that is all for today's episode. If you liked it, let us know. Podcast at westernpriorities.org. If you didn't like us, let us know. Elon at twitter.com is where to send those comments. Um, So send us comments critiques guest ideas go check us out on social media except for you know that other place wherever you happen to be these days we are probably on there or if we're not yet let us know thanks again to julia stubel for sharing her expertise and as always thank you for listening to the landscape <laughs>